0: Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 10th of April 2011, entitled Jesus the Soul Winner, Part 1. And the Bible reading is taken from John, Chapter 4, verses 1 to 29. Here's Brother Chris Mansfield. Turning your Bibles to John, Chapter 4. Just a little word of testimony. Um, I was sitting at the kitchen table writing me notes out for this sermon and Steve found me and he's, he sounded rough and then he heard me and he said, you sound rough and he says, I'm just not up. He'd already preached on the outreach and preached, you know, so Steve did the um, um, the Bible study this morning but little did Steve know that this sermon was getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and I was thinking, I don't know how I'm going to fit it in in one you know, one, one, at one time, I need to, you're either going to be here for, I was going to do originally on the night time, and uh, I thought you're going to be here for ages, or I've got to do it really quick. So this is God's will, I believe this is uh, what God wants me to talk to you about, those are at the Children's Bible Club, this is the adult version of what we spoke about with the children, so Jane and Angelica and uh, all those that were there, the adults there. So those of you who know your Bible, you know what um, what this story is, in John chapter 4, so we'll start at verse 1. When therefore they knew that the Pharisees had heard Jesus had baptized um, more disciples than John, though Jesus himself had not baptized but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. And his must needs go to Samaria. Then um, cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sakar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to um his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, Jesus therefore, being weary with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said unto her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, "How e is it that thou, being a Jew, asketh drink of me? which I am a woman of Samaria, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith thee, Give me a drink, thou wouldst have asked him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman said unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then um, hast thou living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave this well to us, and drank thereof himself, and his children, his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whoever drinketh of the waters shall thirst again. But whoever drinketh of the waters that I will give him will never thirst. But the waters that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said unto him, Sir, give me this water, um, that I might not thirst, neither come neither to draw water. Jesus said unto her, Go, call thy husband, and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast said, Well, you have no husband. Thou hast five husbands, and thou whom thou hast is not thy husband, and is um, sadly thou true. The woman Saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship um, ye know what ye not what, excuse me. For we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is spirit, and they that worship him, worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said unto him, I know that uh, that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee. Am he. And upon the same um, came the disciples, and marvelled that he was uh, talking to the woman. Yet no man asked what uh, seekest he thou, or would talk unto her. The woman then left the water pot, and went away into the city, and saith to the men, Come, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Is not this the Christ? What we're going to do is go through what I've just read. Little chunk at a time, a little verse at a time, and pull out some of the important things that we need to learn from this. Um, some of them are basic, but you know that's not a problem. Some of them, are re- you know, God has revealed in His Word to us, and you might not know these things, but it's good to go over these. Like we said, this was done, you know, to the children, but we're God's children, and we need to learn. And God can speak to us through His Word. Um, so the ver- the first thing that we need to look at is in verse four, and his must needs go through Samaria. Um, as you know, maybe Samaria was a direct route from Judah to Galilee, but many of the Jews they wouldn't go that way. The region of Samaria was despised by the Jews; they often took a very roundabout way through Perea to get to the north of Galilee. Um, so when it says Jesus must needs go through Samaria, it is not so much that it may have been the best route or the shortest route; it was more to do with a divine appointment that was going to happen at the end of his journey. Um, and with our day-to-day lives and the things that we do, um, sometimes God will do similar things to us and put us in positions at work that we think have just come out of the blue. But be sensitive to God's spirit just as the Lord went this way. It was the shortest route, but it was contrary for this Jewish man, Jewish um, teacher Jesus, to go this way because the Jews just didn't go that way. In Luke 19.10 it says, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. So Jesus' reason for going to Samaria was to meet this Samaritan woman. He went this way just for her. Jesus was a Jew and is the Messiah of the Jewish people. Um, But there are times within the Gospels where the gift of salvation is given to the Gentile people. He came directly to the Jews. And what I just need to just go through here a little bit is to show the reason why at this point he was going to different Gentile people and revealing himself to them and not so much turning away from what he said he would come to the Jewish people. If you're remembering, um, you can turn to Matthew 12, 22 to 32. This is uh, where he casts the demon out, the dumb demon out, and the Pharisee says, always oh, the prince of demons. That's why he can cast the demon out. He's Beelzebub. And the reason that he can cast the demon out is because he's the, he's the chief demon. And then Jesus says to them, you know, how can a kingdom divided against himself, itself can stand? At the point where the Jewish leaders um, denoted this act of a miracle to the act of satanic work was the point where his favour turned towards the Gentile nations. They nationally had rejected their Messiah. He had done three messianic miracles. This was the last one. He had come. Throughout the teaching of the Jewish people, there was three messianic miracles that he would do that would prove to them that he was the Messiah. The, the first miracle was the healing of the Jewish leper. This is in Matthew 8, 4, Luke 1, 42. Jesus healed this leper. And if you remember, he says, go and show yourself to the priests. Why did he need to do that? Because the priests should have been looking for the Messiah. They should have been looking for this man coming to them that would have been healed by the Messiah. So Jesus healed this leper. He went and stood before the high priest, and he would have said, "A man has healed me." A alarm bell should have gone off. Where's this man? But no, they rejected it. The next um, was casting out the mute demon. This um, the Pharisees they could deliver people from evil spirits, but they needed to know the name of the demon. So they were said within Jewish teaching that if a man come that could cast a demon out without knowing its name, this must be the Messiah. And we've got that in Mark 9.25. This mute demon was cast out. This was a divine, messianic miracle that proved that Jesus was the Messiah. They cast him aside. They didn't want to know. And then the last one is... A man born blind. And if you remember, they said, oh, his his father has sinned. That's why he's born blind. And this is sin. Do you remember the story in uh, John 9, 3? And Jesus, he spit on the ground. He made some mud. He said, go and wash your eyes in the pool of Shiloh. And this man was healed. That was the last messianic miracle. Just after that is where we get to the Beelzebub incident. They nationally rejected their Messiah. They, through... um, lots of years coming away from the teaching of Moses and going towards the teaching of men that missed their own Messiah, that missed the point altogether. So after the point where um, in Matthew 12, 22 to 32, where Jesus, they, they acknowledged, instead of saying, this is the Messiah, they said, this is the chief of demons. God rejected Israel because they rejected their Messiah. And after this point, when any of the Jewish leaders came to Jesus and they said, show us a miracle, he would say, you'll get no miracle but of the prophet Jonah. Three days will I be in the belly of the earth. And then he, So the only proof, if you like, after this point was the resurrection. But they'd already had their three chances. So you may have wondered when you've read through the Gospels where it says, Jesus heals someone, he says, but don't tell anyone. He may have reasoned, Why? Why is it like that? Why does he say, "Don't tell anyone"? Doesn't he want to spread his message? It's because of Israel's national rejection, and he's out of compassion, healing individuals. Okay, that is the reason. Um, So, um, what we know that in John ten sixteen, it says that Jesus, he has sheep of another fold. You've all read that scripture. This Samaritan woman was not a Jew. She was rejected by the Jews, yet she's a sheep of this other fold that we read of in John ten sixteen. Now, as we said, Jesus directly made a straight path towards Samaria to meet this woman. He had this divine appointment, and I've talked to Pastor and I've heard him preach from the pulpit that you know we hear of Calvinism and hyper Calvinism that. Those who are going to get saved will get saved and we don't really have any work to do with that because they're God's elect and we don't have any message. But we don't know who's going to be saved. So I would not say that hundred. some of what the Calvinist teaching is correct. Some of it goes to an extreme as what I can see from the Bible and I know that pastor agrees with that. The other extreme is Arminianism where everybody's going to be saved and you know we've just got to work and work and work and work. And keep spreading the gospel and just get as many in and it doesn't really matter if we disciple them that much. And that is what Arminian taught, that everybody can come, everybody can be saved, which is true, but he takes it to an extreme. What the Bible teaches in Ephesians is that we are elected. There's a point where God chooses us. And neither Calvinism nor Arminianism, to me, fit. I can't get them to fit quite right. But in Ephesians it says that he's predestined us to conform us to the image of his son. He's called us, those he will called, he will perfect. This Samaritan woman was called. She was divinely chosen. Um, but that's not to say, who, who do, you know, we're not God. We don't know who's God's chosen, who's not chosen. So it's our job to go out and evangelize. It's not our God to say, oh, we we'll sit here and God will send them in, or we'll just, make it, we'll just be so busy with evangelism and so have a weak message, a social message that it has no effect. But the Bible does teach about election and predestination. And that's what we need to stick to. Some of what Calvin is, you know, Calvin is teaching is true. Some of the Armenian teaching is true, but we need to stick to the word of God. This lady, this Samaritan lady, was chosen to be called. And that's what we need to look at, that she was chosen. God had turned his favour against the Jewish people and gone to this lady. Jesus travelled into Samaria to a village called Sikar. Sikar was not far from the plot of ground where Jacob had given in Genesis. This is in Genesis 48, 22. So Jacob had found this well. God had blessed it to him. He used it to feed his cattle and... And he had some battles there to fight off for the people and different things were going on there. So now we get to John 4, 6. um, And that's talking about the well. And um, it says that, now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being weary um, with his journey, sat thus on the well. And it was about the sixth hour. A couple of points there that I just want to bring out. Jesus is God, isn't he? You know, Jesus doesn't get tired. He's divine. But we sometimes underestimate that he was a man, you know, he, he was a man, he had to become a man and he had to become, you know, it says he, he became like a worm, doesn't he, you know, he became like the lower than anything and for forgot to come and be incarnated into a man, but he was tired from his journey, he had a long journey, you know, I've never been to Israel, but it looks very dry in places, you know, I don't know what that road is like from uh, that place down there, but you can imagine it being very dry and he sat down, at the well and it was about the sixth hour so um this was jacob's well and apparently Stephen might be um be able to tell you about this this site is still identical today you can go there find this well sit where jesus sat um, there might be some blow-up ones that other people have put in but there is definitely a one there that jesus sat on um Jesus was weary from his journey and sat at the well for a rest. The time was, um, in Jewish time, was noon, or in Roman time, it was 6 p.m. So it was towards the evening. Um, And he's just like, why is is the word of God telling us the time? You know, what's so significant about the time? Well, um, as we said, Jesus was a man, and in 1 John 14, it says, the word of God became flesh and dwelt amongst us. So... As um, he tabernacled amongst us, the outward appearance of him was a man, but within that man was God. He was divine, and um, he was weary because he was a man. Um, so you might say that Jesus was God, veiled in flesh. So we needed to sit-down. And in John 4, 7, Jesus, sitting at the well there, a Samaritan woman came out of the city to draw water. And as we know from the verse above, it was 6 o'clock. This was an unusual time to come and get the water. Um, and that's why I believe the time is mentioned there. Obviously you'd need water, you know, you'd maybe start your fire in your house or, um, you know, we hadn't got electric then, so they'd kindle the fire. And the first job would be to get water. Um, but she'd left a collection of water until the evening. And um, this is unusual, this is there for a reason. It was a lady's job to fetch the water. Always the ladies fetch the water. It wasn't the men's job. And um, as I was thinking about this, um, a scripture came into my mind, and I've got to take that as God. So, you know, it, um, it just came there. So um, in Luke twenty-two ten, if you just look there and read it quick, um, it says, this is to do when Jesus was asking the disciples to prepare the Passover meal. And he, um, he said to them, go and... Um, prepare the meal, you'll see a man carrying a pitcher of water. Now, you may have read that and thought, what's unusual about that? But it wasn't men that carried water in those days. It was the women. This man would have stood out like really clear to the disciples. He, would, you know, he might as well have been waving a flag or he would have been obvious that this was something that God had said. And God did say, he says, go and find a man carrying a pitcher of water. I wonder what happened in this man's life, on the morning maybe, that caused him to have to go and fetch his water instead of his wife or his family. We need to be sensitive in our day-to-day things and what God is asking us to do. This man hasn't gone and get the water, yet he fulfilled a major part within the scriptures by doing God's will. So that came into my head, so I've shared that with you. But it was the women's work to carry the water. So we go back to this uh, Samaritan woman. So why was this lady, it's Samaritan lady coming for water at the wrong time of day, you might ask. Um, it was the hottest part of the day, you know, it was heavy work, carrying this big jug, this pot of, you know, it wasn't a little pot, it was to, you know, for the whole house. It was a big pot of water, they would carry it on their head. Um, this lady, as we've read, she was leading a sinful life. She came at this point of the day to avoid people. She didn't want to meet anyone. She didn't want to meet the other women. Um, I know I work, you know, I work on a building site and when my wife was at work, she would say women are worse than men. I know that, you know, there's a lot of argy-bargy and stuff going on on building sites and just with people in general. But you can imagine the the things that had gone to this lady. She was classed as um, a sinful lady. Maybe the ladies that were saying that were just as sinful. But, you, you know, the people can gang up on people and cause them to have a hard time. So this lady was avoiding people. She'd come at six o'clock to avoid the usual time where all the other ladies would come and collect water. But she was avoiding people because of sin. And that is why it's talked about there, the time that she came. Because there was something in her mind that she knew that she was wrong, that she was doing something wrong, that she'd got a guilt within her heart to avoid people. Um, so... Um, because of a shame, she came later to collect the water. But, of course, the Lord Jesus, he knew all about this lady. He knew exactly what time to be there. And um, he knew that she was a needy soul. And he had de- was determined to meet her and rescue her from this sinful life that we've read about. So little did she know that she was going to bump into a man. And this man was going to miraculously change your life. So we're going to see Jesus now, Jesus the soul winner. He's going to talk to this lady. He's going to give us examples of how we should speak to the lost. He's going to um, answer questions. And we need to learn from the words of our Lord. He, He speaks to us seven times. The Samaritan woman speaks to him six times and then speaks to her city the seventh time all these numbers and things are very interesting and we haven't really got time to go into them. But Jesus speaks to us seven times. Seven is perfection in the word of God. So um, Jesus is sitting there at the well. This Samaritan woman comes and he says to her, give me a drink. And first of all, this lady is shocked that a Jewish man is talking to a Samaritan woman. First of all, there was a bit of a distinction between men and women. And, um, you know, I'm not saying that was right, but there just was. But also, as we've said at the beginning, Jews hated the Samaritans. They despised them and didn't like them at all. Um, and Jesus asks Zephaniah and says, Give me a drink. In 4 um, 8, the reason why he's asking for the drinks there, if you just look at it, his disciples had gone into the nearby city of to buy food. They would have took the baskets and any little jugs they'd got to bring the food back. So they'd got nothing. Jesus was left there. I was thinking when I break this down, why didn't the disciples give him a drink before they left? But there you go. That's what the word of God says. They went with all their little cups and dishes and pots and pans and whatever else they'd got to buy the food to bring it back. Jesus was left there sitting on the well without anything to get the water out. So... Um, the reason that he's sitting there not able to get the drink is because his disciples have left him for a while and gone into the nearby city to buy food. Um, in verse 9, the woman recognises that Jesus is a Jew. And as we've said, he's amazed that he's speaking to her. And um, we're going to just go into a, little, a few of the reasons why. There's such a surprise in the... He says he, he marvelled the lady that this Jewish man was talking to her. And you might ask why. The Samaritans claimed to be the true descendants of Jacob and uh, looked at themselves as the true Israelites. Um, But in fact, they were a mixture of Jewish and heathen or Gentile descent, they were a mixture. Mount Gerizim had been adopted as their official place of worship. And apparently um, you can see this mountain from this well as you sit on the well, the mountains there. So it's in the backdrop of their conversation. you know that the the, uh, the place where the samaritans worshiped was there within the backdrop of the whole story that we're looking at um the jewish um considered the samaritans as half-breeds they had a deep disgust and dislike for the samaritans um so they had a, you know a great dislike and this dislike had gone on for a long time um jewish jewish men didn't speak to samaritans let alone Samaritan women. Um, the lady said, How is it that thou being a Jew, hast asked a, a drink of me, which art a Samaritan? That is in verse 9. When she spoke these words, she didn't realise that she was speaking to the creator of the, the actual mountain <laughs> that they worshipped on, the creator of the universe, um, but she was. She was speaking to, to her creator. She was speaking to Lord, the word of God. Um, and Jesus' love rose above any disputes to do with racism or places of worship or any petty kind of like distinctions of man. His love rose above all that. And so by Jesus asking for a drink, bearing in mind that he wouldn't normally talk to her, it provoked curiosity within this, uh, within this lady. And without speaking to the lost... We need to now and again drop these questions in that provoke godly conversations. It's not hard. If you are um, sensitive to God's spirit, and I'm not saying that I am perfect or I do this all the time, this is convicting me as much as anyone, but we also, if we are sensitive to God's Holy Spirit, can drop conversations in our places of work, at school, supermarkets, that will provoke a godly conversation. And that's exactly what the Lord did. That was the first thing he did. He broke tradition, if you like, of what a Jewish man would normally do. And he spoke to this lady and asked for a drink that he needed. He, he was thirsty. In the next two verses, 10 and 11, Jesus now ar- arises, arouses sorry, even more interest when he speaks to himself of being God and man. So he's asked one question, and now he's, he's going to do some more teaching and provoke even more question. And so we're going to read 10 and 11 again. And it says, Jesus answered and said to her, If thou knowest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me a drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given her living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep, from whence then hast thou living water? The Hebrew phrase there is ma'im ha'im, and it means to bubble up. To, it's like running water. It's not like a stagnant, dead well. It means to be bubbling with life, like a stream passing through the rocks and down the little channels. It means alive. So the water that Jesus is offering her is something that's not dead and stagnant and not running. But before he he mentions the gift of God before that, and he's Asking her, do you know who who I am? Do you know who's talking to you? So we need to just look at these couple of things as well. Jesus was God's gift to mankind, the one who was the saviour of the world. He was the only begotten son of the Father. He was fully um, man at this point. Um, So he genuinely needed a drink because he was thirsty. Um, But he'd got no way of actually drawing the water out of the well. Um, um, and the saviour was asking this lady if she wanted to be blessed by this gift of God with the living water of God, with the salvation of God, with the Holy Spirit of God. That is what this gift is. Our gift, God's gift towards mankind is salvation. And that is what he's saying. He's saying, Do you, the water from this well, you're going to have to come every day but the water that I can give you will well up within you and you will never thirst again, ever again. And that is what Jesus is saying. Um, but in verse 12, she doesn't quite understand um, that Jesus But she does understand that he's making a great claim. Um, and he, she says to him, are you greater than Jacob? So she does know that there's something different about this man. But she's still tying it in to this well and the man who dug the well or found the well. She's not seen it through spiritual oil. She's dead spiritually, which is what the Bible says that the lost are. They're dead spiritually. So our job when we're talking to the lost is to try and explain these things to them. That just you know, what we can see is crystal clear. They just can't see and I couldn't see it and I couldn't see what all the fuss was about with Jesus and God and the church and the Bible. But God takes the scales from your eyes and you see, don't you? You see who God is, what the word of God is and Jesus is um, going to reveal to her exactly what's, uh, what he's trying to talk to her about. So the lady still understands that um, he's making a great claim, but she's still thinking literally on the earth she's not thinking about spiritual things um so jesus is there sitting on this well centuries later after jacob had found the well and obviously the well was a blessing to jacob's family but jesus is now sitting on this well and offering a greater blessing than what jacob could ever be and it's interesting as well that yeshua and yakov I've got the same root word within them and they both come from a root to do with salvation so that's such an interesting thing that even both the names are tied together Yaakov and Yahshua the ya at the beginning speaks of God's salvation so even that is just wonderful isn't it but in verse 13 Jesus says you will thirst again if you come for this well but in 14 but my waters, you will no longer thirst, and springs of water will rise up within you. The Samaritan woman could surely understand about being thirsty, about constantly coming every um, morning to the well to draw water. Um, and the constant time that she came reminded her of a sin and her need for putting things right. So... Um, day after day she would come at the wrong time, reminding her of a sin, but she'd still got a physical pot of water to carry back to her village, which was heavy. So when Jesus is saying, if you come to me, you're not going to need to draw water ever again, she's not quite understanding, and as a, as a plumber, she might be thinking she's going to get a tap installed in a little house somewhere, or a, a water mine's going to get tucked down from the well. She's still thinking literally what... She's not seeing it because she's lost. She can't see it, and Jesus is more and more trying to draw these important questions, and more importantly, the answers to her questions. So she's coming constantly, and us as Christians even, we sometimes go to the wells of this world and try and draw water and try and be satisfied by those things, and they won't satisfy you truly. They might satisfy you for a bit, like, you know, I remember when I was a kid playing football or whatever and you just wanted a drink. You know, it satisfied you for a bit, but then you need a drink and a drink and a drink. Um, but the world can pull us away from God's way. And um, it's it's the same with us, but it's definitely the same with the lost. The world, I just like shining beacons, beacons to come and indulge in. And there's so many distractions now, you know, think that you could be on the bus and get your emails from your phone and all this you know and everybody's heads all like this you know just down all the time nobody looks at each other or smiles at each other or you know if you say hello to someone they're like you know shocked that you haven't spoke to them so there's a lot of distractions and we're not you know we're not uh, making any excuses here but you know and we're all as bad as one another but uh, the things of god will so much more satisfy than the things of this world and Um, I've just put man's heart is restless until it rests in Christ and we could just really stop there couldn't we if we just thought about those words and stop rushing around trying to satisfy I mean we've got families, we've got work, we've got commitments um, but we can still enter into that rest and uh, I found this little poem I am not one bit cultured or get poems but I thought this was really good so I'll read it to you the whole world wide, the whole world wide world is not enough to fill the three hearts' corners. Yet it craveth still. Only the Trinity that made it can suffice the vast triangled heart of man. And that was written by a man called George Herbert. And I thought that was brilliant. You know, the heart of man and the brilliant. Um, so maybe I'm a bit cultured. Who you knows? <laughs> um, the pleasures of this world are few and far between. But God's spread within us everlasting life and it's we're too earthly aren't we we look at earthly things and this is what this lady is doing you know if i was there i'd be doing exactly the same saying exactly the same things looking at the well and not sp- seeing the spiritual things that the lord is saying to this lady um so as we get to uh john four fifteen. um she obviously now wants this water she's thinking i don't want to come to the well every day and draw water i don't care what it is i want it because i don't want to come to this well every day carry this heavy pot be reminded of my sin because i'm not coming at the right time avoiding people um so as the woman heard about this marvelous water this living water that was going to well up she immediately wanted to have it but she was still thinking literally you know literal water We know that the Holy Spirit in the Bible is revealed to us in different ways. The oil, the water, we know that it says that the washing of the word. There's different aspects of the Holy Spirit that's revealed to us through the word of God. And water is one of them. But she's still thinking literally, she's thinking about this water that she doesn't want to carry and all these kind of things. Um, She didn't want to come to the well every day. And as we said, it was heavy to carry the the water pot back home. The time of day was wrong for her to come. And that sin, even though she was carrying that pot, the sin was heavier than the pot because it, it, she was coming at the wrong time of the day. So the burden of the sin was just as heavy as the burden of the water. And, but she didn't quite get it. She didn't realize it. Um, she was probably very lonely. You know, She um, was avoiding people because of this sin. She was lonely. She was lost. She was a sad, lost sinner. And others would have avoided her. You know if you separate yourself um, people kind of like separate from you don't they? you know um, the, the water the Lord was speaking of as we said is spiritual he was referring to all blessings that come to a human soul when they have faith in him and that is what this water is this living water that's going to rise up within this lady's heart um, but there's a problem in verse 16, Jesus now abruptly changes the subject or the conversation in a completely different route. They're having this conversation. They're talking about water. They're talking about Holy Spirit. is what Jesus is talking. The lady's thinking about heavy water pots, seen carrying water back. And Jesus says, go and call your husband. Why on earth has he changed the subject so abruptly and completely? Before this woman could come, to a saving knowledge and an understanding and a need for the saviour. She couldn't hide from her sin anymore. God, Jesus, had got to get rid of her sin for her to come, for it to receive the Holy Spirit, to receive the gift of salvation. She'd got to be confronted with her sin. So Jesus says, call your husband. We know that the Lord knows everything. We know that he's... He knows exactly what's going on in this lady's life, but she doesn't. But at this point, he says, go call your husband. Um, The Lord knew all about her sin and he was going now to reveal her sin to her. He was going to lead her step by step to see it for herself. Only those who see themselves as lost can be saved. You know, if you're drowning in the sea, You need someone to save you, don't you? But so many people are drowning in this world and they just think they're fine. But those of us that are saved can see, can't we? We can see that they're falling headlong into destruction. And thank God I can see. Thank God that we can see those that are saved. You know, Thank God that we can see. We've got eyes to see. But this lady at this point, she didn't quite understand that sin had got to go for salvation to come. So Jesus says, call your husband. Um... In Romans 3:23 it says, "All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God," and in 2 Corinthians 4:3 it says, "Where our gospel is hid, it is hid to them that are lost." So it's our job to reveal these things to the lost in our outreach and our um, personal evangelism. We must learn here from the Lord's teaching. We must never avoid the sin question. The unsaved must be brought to a place where they face their sin face to face. And that, um, that that sin will bring death, separation from God in hell. The Holy Spirit has come to convict the world of sin. Without knowing your sin, you cannot know that you need a saviour. The Lord is the saviour of the lost. Jesus will save all those that repent of their sin and follow him. So... The reason Jesus changed the subject is because of sin. He wants to sort this sin problem out. So in um, 4.17, Jesus brings up the sin question here um, with the woman at the well. Um, And instead of, um, obviously she didn't realize that she's talking to the Messiah who knows all what we're going to read next. So she lies. She says, I haven't got I ain't got a husband. What are you on about? And Jesus says, Well, that's right, you ain't got a husband, and the one that you're with ain't your husband, and you had five before that. And she's like, Whoa. <laughs> so that's what we're gonna look at next. So she says, I haven't I have no husband. Perhaps by today's standard, she was telling the truth. You know, there's lots of people, oh let's live together and try it out, and things turn out all right. In five years we'll get married and if it don't we'll just you know but God says doesn't he premarital sex is fornication you know in God's economy it was sin in the world's understanding of the days that we're living now you know it's not sin it's your partner you know that grates at me where's your partner she ain't my partner she's my wife you know God says you know one man one woman for life and the partner business, you know, we partner. So it's like mean, business partner in it or something, you know. We are one with our spouses, aren't we? You know, it's different. So, um, maybe in today's economy, she was telling the truth. I hate me husband, but we're living together kind of thing. But in God's economy, it was sin. And she kind of lied, hadn't she? She bent the truth. And... Uh, as we said, God said one man, one woman for life. Now sleeping around today, so many people um, don't commit to one another, and when it gets hard, they just jack it all in and separate. And that's not God's way. God instigated the family, didn't He? And that's the devil's just doing a stitch-up job with marriage and kids and family. And you know, it's just a shame, you know. And um, we need to pray for the families in the church, don't we? You know that, and pray for the children that come because. It's bad now, but we know that the word of God says it's going to get worse. But um, the Samaritan woman then was not frightened to discuss theology. She used a little irony. She pretended to be shocked. Anything to avoid coming face to face with her sin. She was a rebellious soul in flight from itself. And we need to be aware of that. we're talking to people it's like the default program i haven't done anything wrong i haven't sinned and we need to be if you like gentle but just as cunning you know gentle it says doesn't it as gentle as a dove but as cunning as a serpent and um it's not really our job to directly point out individual sin i hate on the outreach, when you hear, not from this church, but when, you know, um, homosexuals are going to hell. Not all homosexuals are going to hell. Some are saved, are struggling with the way that they live, know that it's wrong, have nothing to do with the way that their body's telling them that they want to go, but are saved and are going to heaven. So it's not a necessary. you know, nobody says all fatties are going to hell. Today, nobody says that. They want to provoke this conversation or you know all drunk it's always got to be something that people don't you know the, the, the most provoking conversation just to make them look like they're gonna get a bit of persecution or something but it's it's self-centered these kind of things we want to point people to the Savior and sin has got it's the Holy Spirit's job to point sin out but we've got to be aware that we can be used by God to reveal these things to the lost and to each other we're not sinless you know they, we can draw along brothers and sisters within the fellowship and help problems with sin But so this woman had got um, a husband and he wasn't a husband, she was just living together and she was not frightened to try and squirm away out by throwing in bits to be with Gerizim and worship and all these different kind of things just to get away from, it was like her flesh was rising up because it was frightened it was going to get saved. And, you know, you can see that in the lost soul sometimes. Oh, I've had enough of this Bible rubbish. And they just it's because they're under conviction. And we should praise God for them kind of things, shouldn't we? Because tomorrow you might get another opportunity to talk to them or even, you know, they might come back and say, what was you saying then? You know, I've had that happen to me a few times, you know. What was you saying then? When everybody else has gone and they're on their own and they're the ones that, you know, they're they're all with the mates kind of thing. Um, Although she was able to fool her fellow man, maybe within the village, that she wasn't doing anything wrong. She was not able to f- to fool Jesus, was she? He was God. And he knew all what was going on. And he says to her, you've said well, thou have said well. And she's like, what? I've said well. In this verse, Jesus recites her past in verse 18. He recites the past to deliver her from this bondage of sin. And he says... Thou hast had five husbands, and he who is near your husband is not thy husband. The Lord never completely uses his knowledge unnecessarily to expose or to shame a person. But sometimes in individual cases he does. Definitely with the Pharisees, he says that they're whitewashed tombs, they're full of dead man's bones. So it's something that we shouldn't concentrate too much on, but we should be aware that we can use these methods. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict the world of sin. We might be in a position where God wants to use sin that way. You know, people don't know that, you know, if you're not married, it's sin. You know, in, you know, in a few years back, it was all you're living in sin, you know. But today, it's like, no, we ain't. We've got a family. We've got four kids. That makes it all right. But No, it's not. God says that's wrong. And, you know, this country has come so far away from what God's book says that it's just falling headlong. But we're supposed to be the sort and light, aren't we? We're supposed to bring this message to these people. Um, so when Jesus says, if you like, things that only she knows, he recites her past about her other, all her other husbands and the one that she's with is not her husband. Now we can go in and say, well, all of her other husbands may have died. There might be not any sin there. You know, Unusual but there might not have been sin there. Genuinely, you know, there could have been a disease or battles or whatever, and her first five husbands may have died. But that ain't the point. The point is that the, the man that she's with now, she's not married with, and that's the sin. But Jesus now says to her, you've had five husbands, and she thinks, how does, he, how does this man know what's happened in my life? And if you're lost today, Jesus knows exactly what's going on in your life. He knows all the little things that you do that nobody else knows that you do. He knows all your motives of your heart. He knows why you do things. And he knows that you you can't pull the wool over his eyes. And that's what he did to this lady. He revealed her sin to her. And in verse 19, she says, thou art a prophet. So she's now starting to slightly understand this man's different. This man is not the normal man. He spoke to me when he shouldn't have done. He's kind of like, knows what's going on before I even say it, and he knows what's happened in me past before we even telling him. This man's different. And um, like I say, we're going to have to finish the rest off this evening. Otherwise, I'm going to end up uh, running out of... Uh but Jesus was God's prophet... He was the man that came to redeem this world back. To, to He was our kinsman redeemer, wasn't he? He was the one that was gonna buy us back. So this evening we'll go on from verse 19 and go through the rest of the scriptures and see what Jesus says to her next. But um, if you're lost today, you can't think that through your religious practices that that's gonna remove your sin and that's what we're going to be discussing it talks about worship it says about you worship on this mountain the jews worship in that mountain but jesus says there's going to be a time when it's not going to be that mountain it's not going to be in jerusalem worshiping spirit and truth and that's what we're going to be discussing this evening